You are listening to the Entrepreneur Podcast from Western's Morissette Institute for Entrepreneurship, powered by Ivy. In this series, join me, Eric Morse, as we uncover the stories of our entrepreneurial legends. These Western founders have revolutionized industries, built recognizable brands, and added richness to lives across Canada and beyond. Discover their origins, their greatest moments, their deepest challenges, and what makes each of them tick. Welcome to the Legend Series. From Eastside Mario's, Fionn McCool's, and Beer Market, to Swiss Chalet and the Keg, millions of Canadians have celebrated their special moments in John Rothschild's world. Graduating as one of the youngest MBA students in 1983, John Rothschild didn't take the obvious entrepreneurial path. He built his career as an accountant, and then as an investment banker who soon discovered how much he enjoyed working with small owner-operated businesses. From there, it was a small step to becoming an owner-operator himself as the founder of Prime Restaurants. In this episode, longtime friend and ally of entrepreneurship, John Rothschild, shares his love for business, food, and celebrating good times. John, it's a delight to be with you this afternoon. Uh, really, thank you for, for joining us for the Legends podcast. And I know you don't like that uh, moniker, but uh, I think it's one that, uh, that fits you well. Uh, but my first question is really about, you know, in, in your youth, did you ever think that you would be an entrepreneur? You know what, Eric, that's a, that's a great question, uh, because the answer is I always thought I wanted to run something, okay. but I really didn't know the route uh, to get there. So, uh, yeah, um, I thought I wanted to run something. Um, I guess the idea of becoming entrepreneur, I didn't know it had a label. So uh, <laughs> I guess so that's maybe. what I wanted to <laughs> run something. And I, yeah, I understand. Uh, I understand that. Um, but you went off to business school and in some ways took a, a traditional pathway, I think, for, for Ivy students. In any case, uh, you went with a private investing firm. You know, how, how did that go? And, and when did you decide it was time for something else? My path was not an obvious path, perhaps. Uh, okay. uh, graduated, uh, as you said, uh, with my uh, MBA, uh, probably the best move uh, I ever made in terms of, <laughs> of schooling, uh, for sure, was the, the launching of the MBA. I came out as one of the youngest uh, MBAs to graduate. Uh, felt that I had this very high-level degree, an MBA, uh, for strategy and seeing all of the ways of putting a company together, but I didn't have a grassroots foundation. And then I went and joined Price Waterhouse and did my uh, chartered accounting uh, degree with them, my CA. Okay. Uh, okay. I set up my own accounting firm afterwards. I guess I had a bit of an entrepreneurial orientation uh, even sure. then. And then was approached by a client who uh, convinced me that uh, I should go into the investment banking business. It didn't need much uh, convincing. Uh, it was there in the investment in the investment business that I saw, or I had the yen. Let me put it this way: I had the yen to get involved in smaller businesses. I okay. liked working with owner operators. I liked the hands-on approach. And then uh, I guess I uh, had a bit of an epiphany that uh, I wanted to be, instead of being with owner operators, I wanted to be an owner operator. And uh, I took my shot uh, at it through one of the investments uh, uh, that the investment company I had mentioned. Uh, oh, okay. So, 
No, so your path was a little different than I thought. So accounting first, um, and then you went the the investment banking route. Uh, why why this? You know, jumping off with a with a food with a restaurant business. Uh, what was it that you know kind of excited you about that? It's a bit of a tough question to answer in that uh, you think uh, you 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 ask it from the perspective that I uh, made an overt choice of, uh, <laughs> of business. It's not the case. It. Uh, it was a business that uh, through the investment company we had invested in. It was one that I had recommended we invest in. It looked very promising. I found that the investment, the people that I had invested in had let me down. And I okay. felt kind of betrayed to put it bluntly. And yeah. it was then that I got the combination of betrayal. I can do a better job that I disappointed my, uh, called my handlers of the investment company. Yeah. And it's time for me to no longer be a coach, but to be a player. So it was the coming together of all of those things. It didn't necessarily need to be a restaurant business. It could have been almost any business. I feel very fortunate it was the restaurant business. It's an exciting business. If you like yeah. people, it's a great business. And I like people and I liked being involved in a fast-moving, dynamic business that I thought I could grow. So uh, it was great. So that's interesting, John. So, you know, you hear so much talk about passion, uh, but your passion wasn't necessarily for the restaurant. It was for business in, in itself. And can I make a go of this? And th you saw the challenge in it, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. It was more of an intellectual or perhaps an opportunity to apply all of the fundamentals that I had learned both at Ivy and uh, my years uh, at Pricewaterhouse and my years at uh, uh, the investment uh, firm. And uh, so it was kind of putting it all together and putting it into action, seeing whether I could actually walk the walk as well yeah. as talk the talk. Once I got into the restaurant business, it was more than it was so much more than just a fundamental or a, an academic uh, exercise. Uh, I love the people that I met. They were so different and so interesting. And uh, yeah, I quickly fell in love uh, with the restaurant business okay. and, and the people and the, the pace. And, and uh, where can you make a decision in the morning, implemented in the afternoon, and know quickly what the results are, like the restaurant business? So it was- Yeah, that's amazing. It's hard to be involved in a business that combines business fundamentals and, and passion, food. I mean, feeding, right. it's, it's hard to stay neutral and it's <laughs> very easy to get, get passionate and involved. Yeah, yeah. so became passionate about the, the particular industry. What did the business look like when you started, John? Was, uh, Eastside Mario's, was it you know, bigger than that? How, how many restaurants were there? Yeah, the business was really quite small and yeah. failing. And it was before Eastside Mario's really had um, started to, to shine. It okay. consisted of a couple of uh, concepts that were not towing their weight and, uh, and needed to be changed. So I had a, a ton of cleaning up work uh, to be done. Okay. Once the cleanup was done, I found that we had this Eastside Mario's concept and it was fabulous. And I found that I had some people who really wanted to grow the concept, but were held back for various reasons, some of which referred to the concepts that I talked about uh, just a moment ago. And uh, once the cleanup was done, these passionate 
restaurateur leaders were able to expand Eastside Marrows and get the fundamentals. One of the things you find in the restaurant business is that they didn't have base cases. They had feel, they thought something would be okay, but they didn't know factually what would be okay. And perhaps when you're running one or two smaller uh, restaurants or enterprises, feel is sufficient. But if you really want to roll things out, you have to establish uh, your best base case. You have to establish standards. And that's uh, pretty much uh, what we did. Uh, We established base case. So we formalized a whole process and perhaps uh, that's one of the things uh, the training, uh, the Ivy training uh, uh, taught me to do. Thanks, John. So you went on to have a number of brands in Prime Restaurant Group. It became the group after a while. Yeah. How, were those brands built organically by your team or did you acquire other chains? Or Yeah, no, uh, all, all of the brands we developed internally. Okay. Uh, Eastside Mario certainly uh, was an internal brand. Casey's. Uh, the pubs, Finn McCool's uh, was the primary uh, name of our pubs. And then uh, uh, one of our last concepts that uh, was really a fantastic concept was a Belgian uh, concept, the, the beer market. Yeah, this was uh, my uh, favorite, by the way. Yeah. Mine too. <laughs> I'm, I'm not supposed to say who my favorite. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sure. <laughs> each, each concept became like a, like a child to me. Uh, but uh, yeah, love the beer markets and yeah. uh, the expansion of that uh, brand. It was wonderful to bring something new to, uh, to the marketplace. And mm-hmm. uh, the beer market with its Belgian beer orientation and food, uh, Flemish uh, food, was uh, very, very uh, different and novel uh, at the time. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a uh, really uh, amazing job growing all of that. And uh, I, I wasn't aware that it was all organic. That's uh, that's that's really neat, John. Yeah, but we went on afterwards to uh, acquire brands and in effect be acquired. And so that we became a uh, collection of some very significant and super brands in uh, in Canada. Take me through some of that, because uh, you, you built this great organization and uh you had uh, an investor come along with with some other brands and say, "Hey, what you know? Why don't we work together?" What was that decision like for you? Yeah, it seemed to me that uh, we had grown significantly. Not seen, we did. We'd grown significantly in size, but we were kind of—I coined the phrase—we were a tweener uh, okay. company. Uh, we were too big to take advantages of some of the um, uh, quickness uh, that smaller businesses could uh, achieve and we weren't large enough to achieve uh, some of the significant uh, scale that uh, that was necessary in a in a large company so it seemed to me that it was important to get uh, larger uh, we had identified a couple of uh, opportunities but the the best and the strangest uh, circumstance to come along and wonderful circumstance was uh, meeting the people from Fairfax uh, financial uh, they had determined uh, that they wanted to get into the restaurant business. They had had an investment in Quebec, which wasn't working out uh, as well as they had hoped. Uh, and uh, they, uh, by then, uh, Prime Restaurants was a public company. Fairfax helped us to take the company private, which was nice. Yep. And then once private, uh, we looked around and uh, identified that Kara uh, was the was a wonderful company. It, it was in similar 
trouble, if you wish, uh, to what Prime was in its early days. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was an opportunity where Fairfax was able to acquire majority interest in, uh, in CARA and uh, merge Prime in with the, the deal. And so we became one company called CARA and then uh, turned CARA around quite quickly and then went on a buying spree. <laughs> well, John, let's back, back up just a little bit for me. The, uh, I mean, it, it, it's an amazing story. And basically, you were running the, the restaurant business for Kara or the merged entity, uh, which is really a, a who's who of restaurants across the country. I mean, they're, they're you know, deep Canadian brands. Uh, but now you've got, you know, Fairfax, you've got Kara. What was that like now suddenly to be, you know, had these other partners in the business with you <laughs> after after being kind of your own guy for so long? Yeah. Um, when you make the determination that uh, you don't want to be caught in between, you don't mm -hmm. want to be a tweener, you are prepared then to give up certain things to get certain things. So the days of, uh, of running prime came to an end uh, days of getting involved and doing Kara became the way to go. And that's, uh, it just was a fundamental change and fundamental change that I was prepared for. Okay. Um, also, Eric, I was a lot older uh, as, uh, as we did this. And so. Really young man, John. Uh, thank you. So perhaps uh, it was also a bit of career change and acknowledgement that entrepreneurism has a lifespan, uh, mm -hmm. at least in my case, uh, yeah. since it was not going to be a family uh, business. Uh, yeah. Therefore, it has a, a best before date. So yes, I uh, got involved in the management and operations of Kara. Uh, and then uh, after a couple of years of the company uh, being put uh, together and safely uh, merged and operating uh, properly, I retired from management. Mm -hmm. I stayed on the board uh, for a number of years to help guide it from a board perspective. And it was a pretty, not pretty, it was an extraordinarily satisfying career. Yeah. Uh, I love, uh, I do not regret one bit uh, any of the uh, career paths. There may have been one, two, three, maybe even four days uh, <laughs> from a granular perspective that I sure. had read, but, uh, but in general in planning uh, a career, and I shouldn't use the word planning because in many ways it was uh, somewhat self-evolving and uh, yeah. things that you're not in control of. And some, sometimes it's, they're good, they're good things. Uh, right. They said meeting the Fairfax uh, people, they are the finest and the best uh, people I've ever come across. Uh, oh, so that was very fortunate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great when you find a partner uh, that, that you fit with like that. You know, we're interesting, you know, you talked a little bit about some of the the tough days, granular days, we really come through a very tough time. We're not, we're not through it yet uh, for the restaurant hospitality industry with the pandemic. Um, you also were able to navigate some tough times, the financial crisis and uh, some other, you know, downturns in the economy. I, I don't know if you have a perspective on the pandemic, but, but maybe just you know, some of the things that you had to do during the down cycles that you have gone through that you, you might, uh, you know, ideas you might give to the entrepreneurs as they try and fight through this time. Being to the abyss and looking deep down into the, into that abyss uh, is frightening. Yeah. It's frightening. Um, 
the one that certainly I lived through was the 07, 08, and 09, if you wish, uh, years of, of recession, uh, real estate blowing up. And uh, I thought uh, all of my life's works could come to an end. Uh, yeah, wow. So, yeah, that's, uh, and there is a saying about when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I didn't really look forward to putting into practice, but we did. Uh, <laughs> one thing that we learned, um, some of the restaurant operations that were marginal and that we were keeping going in good times, we, decided, we, we had to take a hard decision and, uh, and let them go or shut them down. It was just taking up too much management time to, to run operations that were never going to be profitable, if you want to call them the walking dead. Right. Uh, we had to uh, do that. Uh, yeah. Clearly, I learned that how important good management is or good people are. My partner and I, uh, we had a choice of reducing the salaries of our people and seeing it through, or frankly, keeping their salaries the way they were and reducing our salaries, the senior management, myself, my partner, down to zero. Yeah. And that's what we chose to do. We didn't tell anybody that we're doing it. And that way we were able to maintain all of our staff, all of our key people. And so when we came out of the uh, recession, we had all of our key people in place and we had closed down all of the anchors that were uh, weighing down our, our business. 2010 was our absolute best year to date then in okay. performance. So we came roaring back. The same yeah. thing will happen now. The same thing is happening now. We're in the throes of the comeback. Once, at least in Ontario, we get uh, to uh, have full occupancy in our restaurants and people feel a lot safer in going to restaurants. And I think they should feel safe even today. Uh, the business will come roaring back. And I know, and Cara, or as we're now called Recipe, has done everything to maintain and encourage all of the key people to be there. People are the secret. And that's... Yeah. Uh, and that's what recipe has done. It's very similar to what I saw in uh, 2008 through nine. Well, kudos to you. I don't think we had the same programs uh, back then that we did today going through in terms of helping you keep uh, some of the key people in. And, uh, you know, you made the hard decisions to do that. Um, Eric, there was nothing heroic that we did. It was just the right you know, when you're doing the right thing, it is the right thing. So it was just yeah. a matter of doing the right thing. And doing the right thing is timeless. doesn't matter whether it's the financial crisis of the 08 period or the pandemic crisis of now or any crises, uh, crises that may yet be ahead. Yeah. The two things I take from that, John, one is, you know, people are, are critical. Good people are, are critical to your success and, and making sure that they're set and prepared to take advantage of the good times when you come through them uh, is, is key. And you did that well. The, the other piece that I, I think a lot of growth companies, um, you know, probably don't do quick enough is those marginal pieces of the business that are really much more of a drain, even when they're breaking even uh, because of the amount of mental time that the leadership has to put into them. And in good times, uh, you know, we, we sometimes do that longer than we should. And uh, when things turn down, it, it becomes much more obvious that it's a drain. And so 
you know, making those decisions quickly for the health of the overall business and, and preparing yourself to grow is, I think, a hard thing for most entrepreneurs. And Yeah, sometimes you have to cut off an arm to save the body. No yeah. sane person ever wants to cut off an arm you know, uh, until yeah. you must. You know, one of the, I don't know, it was, uh, always brought a smile to my face and a bit of a chuckle is when you uh, went into Undercover Boss, uh, that show that was on for a couple of years back then. <laughs> Loved your disguise and everything about the whole thing, having known you for several years at that point. Uh, what just, what was that experience like, John? A little out of your norm. <laughs> yeah, Eric, uh, the evolution of getting on the show was funny because I didn't believe, I thought it was a crank call when I first got <laughs> Once, once I got past that, it was probably one of the best experiences I could, I've ever had in my life. And uh, wow. were the show or the opportunity still available to people, I would encourage them uh, to do it. I got to meet the grassroots people in my organization. Yeah. You know, you preach from, as they call it, the ivory tower, what you should be doing, what the right thing is to do. But you really don't have the feel, the touch, the 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 getting down to uh, the customer uh, interface, the, the the person that comes, the dining, uh, the person that's in and dining at your restaurant. So, as a result, I got to meet some of the most wonderful uh, people in our organization, from a, a, a blind dishwasher, believe me, yeah. I'm a wonderful man to uh, a, a fabulous chef, to a woman who was running our pizza uh, uh, production area. I got to meet people that I would not normally meet. And one of the things that I saw was universal from everybody. These were people of different jobs, different uh, uh, restaurants throughout uh, the country. But universally, they said, and they said it so succinctly, so better than we could have even wordsmithed it. They said, hey, if I wouldn't eat it myself, I'm not yeah. serving it. Yeah. I mean, and it said to me, somehow, some way, these guys are getting the message. Yeah. Uh, so I loved meeting all the young people and my life was blessed for meeting uh, all of them. And as you know, the part of the show is not only do you uh, give of yourself in terms of, uh, of participating and, and being in the restaurants and working the job, and I must say, in many, no, in, in all instances, incompetently, uh, because uh, <laughs> all of the kids were so much better. They were great. But uh, yeah, uh, you, you get to see your company at yeah. its grassroots. I think uh, in part of the reward uh, uh, system that, that is part of the show, you also get to make a difference in each one of those individual people's lives. And uh, 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 and it's a it's the most gratifying experience than meeting these young people, hearing them, hearing their words and their dedication right. to the company, and uh, and helping perhaps to even make a difference uh, in their lives. What an opportunity! Yeah, it was yeah, well, well, well done. Yours ended well. Not all of them did, if we remember it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I I don't I don't know about the others. I just know that the uh, the young people that I met. Um, my life path wouldn't normally cross theirs. Sure. And I feel so, so blessed that it did. Yeah, that's very yeah. cool. Yeah. Now, John, when you look back, you know, what's maybe uh, something you wish you had learned at university that would have helped you in your entrepreneurial career that, uh, that, that went missing? I don't know how to answer that question. 
I can only say that I wasn't looking for the holy grail uh, at the business school. There is none. What I was looking for, and I didn't learn this until I, I reflect backwards, is a toolbox. Hmm. Give me a kit that yeah. I can apply to almost any or many situations. Give me a way of analyzing. Help me to understand uh, a complex problem and reduce it to its uh, simplistic, action-oriented ways. So Ivy gave me that toolbox. If you can take complex issues and reduce them down to one, two, or three very important gotta-haves and and make it action-oriented, I mean, talking about something is useless unless it's accompanied by by action. That's what Ivy gave me. I, I don't know enough about the formalities of entrepreneurism the way it's taught today but i know that if i were to uh, start a course at ivy that's what i would want to make sure that the toolbox of analyticals uh, action uh, uh, assigning tasks getting them done was done and uh, of course in that uh, there's a sophistication understanding numbers and balance sheets and uh, all of the technical things that uh, are part of the course makeup that's also part of the uh, the toolbox i hope that answers your question i'm not sure but that's yeah no i I think that's great thanks john that toolkit you get coming out of ivy through uh, the case study method and some great faculty and and good peers right let's not underestimate uh, the the value there uh, is is does help you with a great toolkit. Yeah, Eric, let me let me respond a moment to that. Sure. I'm coming up to I think I'm two years short of 50 years since I graduated. I have stayed in touch with my MBA guys. The last Thursday of every month, wow. we get together for a drink. Well, you and, used to do that at uh, the International uh, Beer Market. Where do you go now? Well, we, <laughs> well. We've been. Be- I'm going to say we've been beneficiaries, perhaps, of the pandemic in that we no longer go to a pub, but we do it on Zoom. And as a result, we've been able to include guys who are all over the world, guys oh, in New Zealand, in England, in Scotland, in all over the United States, in Israel. Uh, it's just wonderful to see these guys and stay in touch. That's what Ivy did for me. Wow. I kept in touch with my MBA class. Unfortunately, many of the professors in my day are no longer <laughs> around, uh, sure. but uh, through involvement uh, directly with you and, and tangentially uh, with you and other things, uh, I've stayed in touch. Ivy, I cannot tell you how important it has been in the development of my, my uh, career. So, oh, thanks, John. It, it's amazing. You're, you're still that level of communication with your, with your classmates and your peers. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, hey, you've been back and you, you actually do, you know, teaching uh, in our program uh, in, in a number of different ways. But one of the ones is through EIR and, and you've given back a lot of your time to the next generation of entrepreneurs uh, coming through. What is it that brings you back uh, to, to help with that? Uh, you enjoy the teaching? Is it the students? Is it the combination? It's, it's all of the above. Uh, first of all, since I was such a a beneficiary, I benefited from uh, my MBA education. I mentioned earlier uh, how I feel it's important to uh, pay it forward or pay it back in some way, be involved with Ivy. Uh, Then you, Eric, and your uh, profs allow me 
to interact with the students. Uh, there's no talking about don't do this, don't do that. It's you're completely trusting and open. And the the minds, the young minds are just so dynamic. The people, the, the level of uh, student uh, at Ivy uh, is just remarkable. They need to be honed or more experienced, but there's drive and it's really a two-way street. To feel that I could give something to these young minds is stupefying to me. And frankly, getting and understanding the way they think helps me to stay in touch with uh, today's realities. Yeah, They, they are amazing. I, I leave every class feeling like I've learned something for sure. Um, but I'm sure, John, you're, you know, what they don't have is experience and, and your wisdom over the years is something that they learn from as uh, they interact with you over time. And I'm, you know, it may not even be something that's explicit, but I, but I know that that's happening as well. Well, I tell them, uh, I often use the phrase that uh, maybe in something I say, there will be a diamond that will come out of my mouth. Okay. <laughs> that could, it may not strike them as a diamond then it may reverberate uh, some some time in the future there's some lumps of a lot of lumps of coal that come out of my mind my mouth too <laughs> but um the idea that something could uh, influence tomorrow's leaders yeah is 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 awesome it's mind-boggling yeah. so uh, thank you for letting me exposing me to those brilliant minds yeah, thank you, John. Is there, if you were, you know, just thinking back on your career, if it, one piece of advice that you would want to pass on to aspiring entrepreneurs or those that are just getting going in their entrepreneurial journey, any, anything that you'd want to pass along to them? Uh, this is a funny question in that uh, I could uh, say, uh, do this and do that. It's not really the case. Um, and then you've got words about uh, when things aren't working out, you call it a pivot. My best advice is hang in. When things get tough, you have to get tough and get, uh, get with it. There is a solution and many people will walk away from uh, a situation when it gets tough. Just hang in there. If you yeah. believe, with what, believe in what you're doing, your passions need to be well invested or need, you need your passions when you're in tough times and I'm not preaching tough times, but I can tell you in any situation, uh, you would be silly not to be prepared for a tough time happening and it can be unpredictable, but uh, hang in, believe in your people, believe yeah. in your team, believe in your confrères and believe in uh, your company and hang in during tough times. Uh, John, I, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I would say this legend category uh, that we've created for these podcasts, that, that's a recurring theme. Um, and, I, you know, to reach that level means that you've had a long enough career that you've, you've seen the abyss, as, as you mentioned. And, you know, to, to reach legend status, it means you've come out the other side. And uh, I think that that grit, that determination, that, that willingness to really put your nose into it and, and figure it out rather than hoping somebody else will, uh, seems to be a key differentiator, you know, small sample, but that's, it's certainly makes sense to me as we look back at these. Yeah, Eric, uh, it does. And, and frankly, 
my best opportunities have come from surprising places. Yeah. Had I not hung in and seen uh, something through, another opportunity which led to something else just wouldn't have happened. I've often heard of an entrepreneur being described as being similar to a spoiled brat. Uh, <laughs> and if you think about it, they both don't take no for an answer. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> although, although perhaps an entrepreneur is more positively oriented. Yeah, than, let's hope. <laughs> than a spoiled brat. But uh, there's some similarities of, uh, of hanging in there uh, that in are there. Uh, universally true. And uh, if you do. Uh, the rewards uh, that can come are uh, can be uh, can be breathtaking in many in many cases, and that was the case uh, for me. John, you know, I want to I want to say that I've uh, valued your friendship uh, over the years, and I think that's uh, that's what it's been, and I look forward to many more years of that friendship going forward. And uh, you, you know, your wisdom has uh, helped to shape what we do here in entrepreneurship at uh, the Ivy Business School, and now at, at Western University, and. Uh, I want to thank you for that, and I and I think everybody listening today hopefully will take a take away a little bit of that wisdom and uh, apply it in their own career and, and be the better for it. So, thanks so much. I really really appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. It's entirely uh, mutual. I truly value our friendship, and we are linked in uh, our desire to have the next generation be even better than uh, than our generation has been and so pay it forward. The Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Quantum Shift 2008 alum Connie Clarici and Closing the Gap Healthcare Group. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player or visit entrepreneurship.uwo.ca slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.